Go Mighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG was forged in the fires of Appendix N literature, and nothing can be or will be more Appendix N than the works of Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Today, our guest is John Hook, who has written for Age of Cthulhu as well as DCC RPG. We'll explore Lovecraft, Old School Chaosium, DCC, of course, and more on this episode of Spellburn. I'm Judge Julian, and with me tonight are Judge Jen. Hello, guys. Judge Jeff. Hello from Cleveland. And Judge John Hook joining us for the first time. Hey, hello from the forges that formed Dungeon Crawl Classics. <laughs> awesome. You're a brat. <laughs> Thank you. And we will now head on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it. A drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. All right, here we are in Tavern Talk. We will uh, go into what's new in DCC and what's been done and what we have done in our last, uh, I think, interim since uh, we last met, which is about a month or, I don't know, three weeks or something. Um, I think, Jeff, you have the biggest news. We all want to know how the move went and if you found a new gaming group, especially. Oh, yes. So, yeah, the last few weeks have been a big, uh, big few weeks for me in gaming. I packed up all of my gaming books and I drove them down in a U-Haul to Cleveland and I have mostly unpacked them. However, I just put down an offer to buy a house that was accepted today. So now I'm probably not going to unpack them because I'm going to be just moving them again in just a month or two into my brand new beautiful house. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting. We're all visiting. Yes, please. Big house party. I've got lots of rooms. It's actually (laughs) a four bedroom house. And um, so that's what I've done with gaming. I've moved all of my books. Um, I want to say cross country, but I I guess I'm still in the Eastern Standard time zone. It was only a seven hour drive. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight is when the Weird Realms DCC RPG weekly game is played. It's Thursday nights. So if we weren't recording tonight, I would be there. But instead, I'm going to go and check it out next week. And also DM Nick from the Roll for Initiative podcast apparently lives here in Cleveland. And he's invited me to join in with his gaming group and they play monthly. And I guess they're doing like D6 Star Wars and Aces and Eights and Hackmaster. And um, I'll go ahead and give that a shot and see what those are like. I don't really have much experience or I've had historically much interest in any of those three systems. But what the heck? If somebody invites me to a game, I'll come check it out. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did mention, I believe, on the last episode that when I was visiting a few weeks ago, I ran the first session of Sailors on the Starless Sea for a bunch of uh, locals. And one of them was Samantha Echo, who is the drag queen who hosts Dungeons and Drag Queens. Oh, yeah. And they all had a blast at that game. So we will definitely be picking up a second session some point in the next few weeks. I just kind of need to get things a little more settled soon. But that's my story. Awesome. Yeah. Very awesome. 
over here, we did another playtest for Burger Wars. I can't even remember if we talked about this on the last episode suddenly. Since then, I've also run a version of the Jeffrey McKinney Crypt of the Lilac High Priest, his, one of his AD&D modules, and uh, had eight people show up for that game. It was complete madness, hmm. and we ate a swarm of pizza, and there was semi-LARPing occurring. Anyway, it was uh, quite a fun adventure. We got about halfway through, and uh, that's that's been pretty much it around here. It's been head down, finishing up Burger Wars, happy to say. Jen, how about you? Let's see. Since our last show, interestingly enough, I got to hang out with the guest of our last show, Judge Joan. She drove across from Indiana into Peoria while we were performing at a little one weekend event out there. So that was a lot of fun. I got to meet Maureen as well, the next member of the Order of Shanna. Mm. Yay. Mm. Yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. I kind of wish the three of us could hang out like all the time. I saw the picture online that was Yay. looked cool. Looked fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we all got to experience Portillo's together. It's fun to watch new people explore the menu over there. This past weekend was what I affectionately call mini Brinkmanomicon number three, because it was just a little one day thing. It's the last of our quarterly game days for the year. And after talking with uh, Brendan LaSalle for a bit, I was talked into running DCC Florida experiment number one. And... I think, Julian, you played in a version of this, of Brendan's DCC experiment over at Origins. So I won't give too much away. I'll just say that he might put himself out of business as a writer because he gives the judge so much leeway that you don't have to come to the table armed with much. <laughs> and even with four players, it was an absolute riot and probably one of the best games I've run, except for that last one at GaryCon. Wait, how did he... Talk me into it? No, no. How did you guys... Uh, how did he transfer the wildness and the weirdness from him to you to do this game? Because, I mean, I did talk about it in our last episode, mm -hmm. the Joan episode, and uh, it's extremely improvisational and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So what, did he give you notes or... Uh... We chatted a bit. I took a couple of notes and mm. I took, I think, three sentences with me to the table. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, it didn't hurt that one of the players um, was the guy that ran Dread for us earlier in the day. That's the horror-based game where instead of dice, you're actually playing with the Jenga tower. Mm, yeah. And mm. boy, does that ramp up the stress. I'm trying to remember, what did I play before that? Oh, I played in Gaslands for the first time. So we've got a lovely four and a half foot square coffee table, and that fits the entire terrain and everything that the guy running it was setting up and i didn't think i'd be that into it and it turned out to be a hell of a lot of fun hmm. cool so i'm sitting there ranting about it and you know someone posts a meme about it to my facebook page and bob's just sitting back cracking up he's like i love that i actually get this because you played so, <laughs> proud wife <laughs> moment i guess besides that just getting all of the uh, the Lankmar stuff ready to hit publications, or at least public. And now that Grimtooth's Trapsylvania is out in Kickstarter and about to wrap up, it's no secret that a whole bunch of the original authors got back together to participate in this. And so I'm just doing some last-minute you know, fine tweaks here and there with Terry Elson's help. 
it's kind of cool because there's more and more gaming in my life. I'm just not always getting to run it or play it. It's on paper. <laughs> but I hear that. Yeah. What I heard was if Goodman Games ever publishes the Brendan LaSalle DCC experiment, then the module comes with a call from Brendan explaining three sentences or whatever. Um, That's what the module is. It's just his phone number. You just open it there. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's his contact info. Yeah. With a Doug Kovacs cover. Actually, I'm hoping it's an unmarked VHS tape and you just put the unmarked VHS tape into the VCR <laughs> and then there's just Brendan's face. He's like, hey, you got my adventure. <laughs> Here's how it works. I'll totally buy that. I'll totally buy that. I'll kickstart that. That's awesome. But it has to be VHS. Yeah. Why not okay. beta? Uh, yeah, beta sucked. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they would definitely have to raise his per word rate at that point. So that's it for me. What about our guest? How about you, John? Well. Judge John, we want to hear two things in particular, and, and as well as everything else you might want to talk about, but... We know you had a, a special uh, sesquicentennial. I'm not sure. Ses- <laughs> sesquicentennial or something. Oh, you're so close. It's a Sasquatchennial. <laughs> uh, plus, yeah. Now with more fur. <laughs> and talked about the Sasquatchennial, I believe, on that episode. But And then also, even bigger news. A Emmy nominee, an any non nom 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 you know what I'm trying to say. You've got one of those. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So, John, take it away. Talk about at least those two things. Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Miskatonic University podcast, uh, we did just celebrate our 150th episode, which is a uh, sesquicentennial. Ooh. Wow. Uh, so we just had that. We've been podcasting now for over six years. Uh, so my daughter was not born when we started. So Ooh. I always know that it's one number higher than than she is, and that's that's how many years we've been podcasting. <laughs> but you're still married. That's a good point. Yes, yeah. You know, it, it might be because I spend almost all my time away in my office that we are still married. I don't know. There's there might be a correlation. Hard to tell. Fair point. Fair point. So thank you for that. <laughs> and then we were surprised and honored to be uh, one of the uh, nominees for the uh, 2018 Any nominations, uh, Any awards uh, this year for Gen Con. So it's going to be anybody's race. I mean, there's five fantastic podcasts in the running this year. So, And none of them are Ken and Robin. So you guys have a chance at gold. Exactly. Gold is up for grabs. Wow. Gold is definitely up for grabs. It's amazing. It's a great field. There's four fantastic podcasts and Hobbs and Friends. <laughs> I kid. You know, I kid Hobbs. I love Hobbs. You know, it, it's better that you say it than us. Better than I say it. <laughs> Congratulations to our friend, the evil one. And yeah, good luck to Mr. Scott Hobbs. Good luck to... Uh, yourself. Thank you. Uh, That's pretty cool stuff. I think if Jason Hobbs gets silver or gold, we have to bring him on to Spellburn and have a victory lap, right? Well, if he gets a silver or gold, will the head cans go on anymore? I mean, will they fit or is he just going to have to have someone hold one up to an ear and... (laughs) Someone else hold a mic to his face. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. It's going to be bad. It's going to be. Well, anyway, but I'll tell you what, all kidding aside, 
I'll break character for a minute. The, the podcast pretty good. Um, I've also enjoyed listening to yours, John. And, you know, so uh, all I can say is vote Miskatonic. No, all I can say is I'm looking forward to Gen Con and hearing uh, hearing what's going on. And at any rate, congrats to both of you guys for uh, nomination. And that's pretty fun and pretty in some new stuff and, you know, all, all that good stuff. So uh, way to go. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited. So and uh, two of our uh, the Miskatonic University podcast has a, a four man crew and uh, uh, two of us, two of our ranks will be at Gen Con. So hopefully they will have uh, reason to go up on stage. Are you one of those two? I am not. No. Yeah, no longer cool. You know, so I am of the perpetually broke clan with two young kids. So I almost never get out. So I need to like crank out a lot of work for for Joseph Goodman and and uh, and get some of that uh, Goodman Games money and and go out. <laughs> Let me know how that works for <laughs> know, you. Right. Yeah, get on the Goodman gold mine by all means. Yeah, get all the pennies. Digging Goodman gold <laughs> <laughs> tastes a lot like copper. It, <laughs> uh, more like Electrum is uh, you know so <laughs> fancy pants. <laughs> <laughs> fancy. So what have I been doing in gaming though, uh, besides the uh the podcast and the and the uh nomination? I have been doing some writing and I've been doing some playtesting. And actually, as we are recording this episode tomorrow, uh, which is uh Friday the thirteenth, July the thirteenth, hmm. uh the Friday, Saturday, Sunday is CantCon here in Kansas City. And I will be attending CantCon, uh, where I'm going to uh, take a whole pile of board games and just try and do some pickup board gaming. I'm going to give a panel on Saturday at, I want to say two, I believe. I'm going to give a panel at two uh, called uh, Path to Publication. And, uh, and then I'm going to do a play test of a Call of Cthulhu scenario uh, I just finished writing uh, called The Night Door. And mm. once I finally get all the, the burrs knocked off it and it gets smoothed out and play tested a couple more times, I'm going to, I guess it's kind of self-publish it, but Chaosium has a thing going with the uh, drive-through RPG where fans can directly publish work for as PDFs on uh, drive-through RPG and uh, a portion of the money uh, from each sale goes to drive-through, a portion goes to Chaosium and a portion goes to the author. Oh, that's a really smart way to do the mechanical license. Yeah, it's really nice. And it's actually something that they're mimicking off of what uh, Wizards of the Coast is already doing with Dungeons and Dragons. I think it's just for fifth edition. I don't think it could be any edition. I think it has to be for fifth edition. And same thing with uh, Call of Cthulhu. It has to be seventh edition, the the current uh, supported edition. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have it out before the end of August uh, and have that out to be uh, available on drive through. And then, uh, so that's my Saturday. I'm just doing the one game on Saturday. I'm doing one game on Sunday because I want to spend most of each day just being able to go footloose, fancy free, and do pickup games. Hmm. My game on Sunday is a uh, play test of Dying Earth. Uh, the DCC Dying Earth. Oh, mm. tasty mm. stuff. Tasty stuff. Tasty. 
I finally got to be an actual player in something recently. Uh, I just joined from Glowburn. I joined uh, Judge James, Judge Forrest, hmm. and now the new judge uh, that joined him, Judge Mark. I joined their uh, Mutant Crawl Classics game. We play once a month online, and uh, and it's fun. Oh, fun. Oh, man, that'd be great. Nice. Very nice. All right, John, thank you very much. I think it's time for us to head on over to Summon email I call upon the flame to summon you who will deliver the message for me I came here to give you these facts summon email alright here we are in our summon email please uh, Jeff you're first uh, reach down in the mail bag and grab something out there please alright this one here is from somebody named Matthew um, hey Spellburn, I'm one of the RPG room managers for Terminal City Tabletop Convention here in Vancouver, BC. And then he includes the link. This is the first year that we have a dedicated RPG room for our convention on March 24th and 25th. So I guess that was uh, four months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> We're a little backed up. We're a little behind. I will be running a DCC level zero tournament. And I noticed on your website, the tournament has a special character sheet with spots to stamp on them. I was wondering where I might get my hands on those. I've talked to Brendan LaSalle at Goodman and he has no idea where to find them. Thank you for your help, Matthew. All right, Matthew. Well, I will put my renowned powers of detection on this question. Uh, my, In fact, I'll enlist Judge John to boost my investigative powers. <laughs> uh, right? Roll D100. <laughs> Are you going to push your luck? <laughs> Normally, I'm a hack and slash guy, and that doesn't always help find stuff, but... Um, since we have a Cthulhu uh, maven with us, <laughs> I will uh, try to boost my investigative powers and see if I can track that down and get that in the show notes for us. So please check the show notes. And uh, if you uh, make yourself public on G+, on the DCCRPG G+, group, then uh, we'll also try to share it with you there. If it's not there, it's only because Julian has a 35% in library use, so he probably failed his role. Yeah. Fail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Julian, you can always push your luck. Yes. Exactly. Nice. You don't even want to know about my sanity. <laughs> yeah, no. All right, Jen, would you like to take the next uh, missive? Certainly. This comes from our friend Stephen Newton. Yay. He said, I learned something this week listening to your Divine Spells episode. Okay, by this week, I think he means a few weeks back. <clears throat> Just a few. Mainly in that I've not been applying any luck modifiers to spell checks when I should have been. For I think somehow page 106 got burned into my skull and I've only been applying luck modifiers to lay on hand rolls. So I sent this email to the powers that be at Goodman Games as an editing suggestion. First off, he starts with page 19, which describes the luck modifiers and says the lucky roll modifier doesn't change over time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we all know this one. Uh, page 30, under turn unholy, as with all spell checks, the turn unholy spell check is made with 1d20 plus personality modifier plus caster level plus luck modifier. But page 106, describing spell checks, when your character casts a spell, you roll 1d20 and add your caster level. So, well, also your personality modifier if you're a cleric or an intelligence modifier if you're a wizard. And wizards would also apply modifier for bulky armor. They may be 
might be other modifiers specific to certain situations. So nowhere in that spell check section on 106 does it describe applying a luck modifier. But yeah. Anyway, his letter ends with love you guys. Can't wait to have some drinks with you all in March. Yeah, this was written a while ago. (laughs) Drinks have been had. And I think I can supersede the guys here and say, dude, refer back to page 30, as with all spell checks. So yeah, clerics get to use their luck modifier. That would be something that we always forget, I think, even still. Yeah, do any of you guys use this? Because I certainly uh, no. I I seem to have forgotten. Yeah, I did too. Myself. So clerics get luck. Interesting. When I read this, I thought that was on page 30. I was like, that must have been a typo that fell out of the <laughs> final cut. Yeah, so maybe one page or the other should have a a little fix made to it in the next printing, maybe. I'm behind that. So let's do a quick huddle up. We all uh, run plenty of DCC. I mean, let's say that we're not sure if this is uh, appropriate or not, you know, if this is intended or not. Jeff, should luck modify spell checks for both or for and or for clerics and don't give me any sass about clerics and wizards and stuff oh i won't um so (laughs) what i'll say is that the purple sorcerer character generators certainly don't include the luck modifier in their spell checks and i think in, in a lot of circles those character sheets considering those are what many of us use at cons are kind of considered canon at this point and I think if John Marr doesn't include them in the spell check, then I think that that is a pretty good indicator that uh, most other people don't either. So I think since most of us are already playing without including the luck modifier, I would say don't include it. Mm. And the one other thing I would add is that as much as I love roll a d20, add a modifier. And your level. Yeah. Compare it to a... But just like really D20, add any kind of a modifier and compare it to a difficulty class number like that that works in my brain. I do find that the more modifiers you're adding, the more of a slog it becomes. So I'm also in favor of fewer modifiers. Yes. Hmm. Judge Jen, what do you think? Um, I think I would actually change the wording on page 30 and say, unlike all spell checks, because it makes sense that your luck mod might take place in your turn on holy check. Hmm. Hmm. How lucky do you feel? Um, either that or just strike the plus luck modifier and keep it all simplified. Uh, the downside is if you do use that luck modifier there, that could be a negative. Yeah, of course. Just like a warrior's lucky weapon hmm. can occasionally be yeah. a negative hmm. mod. Judge John, what do you say? And if anybody knows about repelling the hordes of uh, unspeakable <laughs> squamous whatever, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yet we're still here. <laughs> if you apply a luck modifier to your spell checks, then where do you stop? Are you applying your luck modifiers to saving throws? Mm, right? I mean, so it's call. a slippery slope. Uh, and as Jeff was saying a moment ago, when I think of spell casting, I think of d20 or whatever your action die you know whatever it may be at that time but action die level and then intelligence for wizards personality for for clerics and 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 that's it you know i I don't want to go any deeper because if you keep going beyond that it's you know now we're getting into math finder territory Mm -hmm. it seems like yeah i like to keep it you know nice and simple and then you know I mean, luck is good for for things where you're being lucky and, and, you know, other, I don't know, you know, find other uh, places to to put it. But, I mean, if you start adding it to this and that, then where do you stop, you know? Mm. 
I'm actually more inclined to make a luck check on top of that. And if sure. you succeed in that, we'll bump it up by one rank for, for something specific like the turn on holy stuff or the divine aid. Yes. You know, especially if for good role play. So you know, anybody mm-hmm. can say, you know, uh, Boris will uh, use his holy symbol to try and turn the undead. Uh, but, but if, you know, Daniel's sitting at the table and he says, you know, and he starts talking in Boris's voice and says, back demons from hell and then holds up you know grabs you know something at the gaming table and holds it up you know to to brandish it as his uh as his holy symbol i'm gonna say all right you know make your uh, roll and then also you know just for fun uh make a luck check for me and uh and then give some some bonuses you know so yeah i like that exactly yeah okay you fit in just fine so i all i'm gonna (laughs) say is um just to troll Goad, I'm going to say it should all be summed up with luck check and roll under. <laughs> That's where I'm going. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, roll under. And also, if, if uh, Jeff, if you're ever at my gaming table and we're playing DCC, it, there will be pre-gen characters and you, you will get the cleric. So, <laughs> I mean, there's just there's no choice for you. Nicely done. That's a harsh. No, I have a blast playing clerics in DCC because the whole divine aid thing. There is absolutely no reason not to break every single game with your divine aid. <laughs> True. <laughs> mm-hmm. I dare you to break it. <laughs> and it's reset at the end of the night. So there is no reason why every cleric shouldn't yes. ask for a miracle every night before bed. And then, as God, I will never let the sun set. <laughs> Uh, uh, all i can say is feature not a bug right (laughs) all right uh last email i'm gonna dig into the mailbag here and what we've got is from dylan hyatt it's kind of a long one i'm gonna probably paraphrase a little bit I often hear you on Spellburn discussing various DCC adventure modules you've played, such as Intrigue and the Court of Chaos. I've managed to get most of the modules, not easy here in the UK, but I even have the Purple Planet box set. However, I'm often disappointed by the quality of the modules in that they rarely offer role-playing scenarios beyond fighting monsters or puzzling out traps. I like to run village or city intrigue as a staple as the PCs move around, meaning there's plenty of NPC interaction going on. Indeed, I submitted such an adventure pitch for the Rodney's DCC competition, but it didn't win. Okay, now the next two uh, things have a kind of long detailed example, uh, which is cool. And and I actually appreciated what Dylan uh, gave for examples, but I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of lengthy. So he says, so for example, here's how I changed the Elzaman and the Blood Drinking Box adventure published in Chaos Rising. I think to sum it up really concisely, hopefully, he kind of put some plot points and intrigue in the beginning stages of the adventure that sort of, you know, hopefully created some inter-party, intra-party intrigue and uh, role-playing throughout the rest of the adventure. I hope that seems fair to all, uh, at least Jeff and and Jen, who can read this email with us. That's uh, certainly legit. So that's kind of the first uh, point that he makes is how to and how he's introducing some role playing into uh, some DCC adventures. Uh, Certainly, I think we're all pretty familiar with Elzaman and blood drinking box at this point. The second one, 
He says, the other issue I have with the modules is quality. For example, in the adventure, the PCs are told that Necros concealed the entrance in the cliff and only when, quote, the dead look at the stars is the door revealed. When the PCs arrive, they find six dead... Okay, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. (laughs) Big spoiler alert. Anyway, there's a clue. And I think his point, generally speaking, is that it's not that hard to figure it out. He goes on to say, I thought that was really lazy. And he gives his example of how he sort of changed the clue, which is maybe a little more intricate than the original clue and so on. Anyway, so I'm... Obviously, sort of, we're eliding all that. And so he concludes with, anyway, I was wondering, do you just play the module straight or do you get any real role playing in it? I'm going to take it first, guys, and I'll just say, as far as I'm concerned, once you buy the adventure, it's yours and you can do anything you want to it, including, you know, in introducing some more role play and intrigue, as you talk about in your first uh, paragraph, or uh, if you want to kind of upgrade the clues and so on, like you mentioned in your uh, second paragraph. I, I think the first thing is a question of what your players prefer. And the second point of maybe making the clues a little harder and maybe the puzzle portion of it a little more uh, intricate and maybe slightly more difficult is maybe a a difference in player skill and and remember that i suppose we're you know dcc's writing for kind of a broad audience and uh certainly if you want to put that uh extra time and thinking into uh the puzzle portions you know why not you know go ahead and do it they're your adventures nothing is more old school than putting your own stamp on this stuff I think in both cases, uh, you're absolutely entitled to do that. As far as do we just play them straight or do we put any real role playing in it? You know, I think the setup of the adventure, what you're doing in your campaign is where that comes in. You drop the adventure in and kind of use that as truly a module, something that's a set piece. And a lot of that stuff comes out of the campaign before and during the adventure. Some people probably play it really straight and play a one shot and go have a bunch of guys go through meat grinder and die. I don't know. And I think that's totally legit, <laughs> obviously. I mean, I think at the beginning of the DCC modules, it basically says that, right? Um, remember when adventures just were you like you put a bunch of guys in a meat grinder and they'd all die? You know. <laughs> Paraphrasing at its finest. <laughs> Paraphrasing at its very finest. I've said too much. Judge John, why don't you uh, take us in? Okay. Uh, so. First off, uh, I mean, he brings up uh, some interesting points and and something um, that I wanted to, you know, I was thinking of as you were uh, reading his letter. Today's modern DCC adventures are inspired by appendix in literature, uh, which had no rules. It wasn't like books were and authors, you know, their, their publishers weren't pigeonholing the authors saying you have to write sword and sandal you have to write gothic fantasy right Mm -hmm. i mean so these guys they were writing fantasy intermixed science fiction and you know and it all kind of blended together and the that as an inspiration has has come and, and is displayed in the dungeon crawl classic modules as a love letter to that time period where anything goes. Uh, and that's why I feel like, uh, and I could be completely off the mark, but if uh, that's why I feel like the modules, uh, DCC modules are usually uh, very succinct um, and, and, and have that in goes 
kind of attitude. What you don't see in today's DCC modules is you don't see um, the kinds of depth that were written by you know Gary Gygax and uh, and and uh, Jim Ward and uh, you know Lawrence Schick when they were putting together these uh, modules and they they fully statted out uh, a village, right? That had no primary plot thread. It was just this is a village, and here are some plot hooks because there's uh, an area over here called the Caves of Chaos. And it was ingenious because they these guys didn't know what they were doing, but by by creating just a sandbox like that, by it just hmm. it's a village, and here's some ideas, but there's no necessary plot that's been introduced as far as what's going to happen at the village. You know, it's not like there was a, a timetable that says once the PCs get here in two days' time, uh, a demon is going to uh, crack open the, the town square and the market is going to fall in, right? It's not like they, there's a plot or a, uh, a timetable that the PCs are playing against. Uh, so Usually. Usually. Uh, so if you would like to try and get some of that old school role play with your DCC, blend the two together. I think that would be really interesting. If you got B1, which of course mm. Goodman Games is is writing a uh, an updated version of B1 and, and uh, putting it out there where it'll be the original uh, first edition and it'll be fifth edition compatible. Oh yeah, it, it's already the bestseller. Oh, it's already out. Okay, uh, but oh, get yeah. that get that B1. And use it as your uh, initial canvas. And then find the DCC modules that you want to tie into it. And whatever it says for the Caves of Chaos, you can scratch that. And when they go into you know, Tunnel A of the Caves of Chaos, have it lead into this uh, DCC module. And so you can bring these two worlds together and have the ability to, to have a deep role-play sandbox with DCC modules as the highlight of what your adventures are, are trying to do. If you're looking to try and expand your world. Mm. Beautifully said. Yeah. Nicely said. Yes. Judges, Jeff and Jen, do you guys want to add anything to that? We, we kind of uh, tore that one up. No, no, it's great. I think a lot of what John said was really uh, fantastic and spot on. I wouldn't add much to that, except I guess, the way I look at the Dungeon Crawl Classics modules is I completely understand what Dylan is saying. His name is Dylan, right? I don't have the email in front of me. Yeah. Uh, I, yes. I completely understand what Dylan is saying. You know, if you look at a lot of the modules, and not all of them, but if you look at a lot of them, you don't really have a lot of NPCs in there. You know, the the iconic adventure is Sailors on the Starless Sea, and really you don't have any real characters who you're supposed to, that you're meant to interact with in any kind of personal way for the most part. And certainly, if every adventure were like that, I could see why some people would find that frustrating. What I would say is, um, well, first off, that not every adventure is like that, because also you play something like Neon Knights, and there's a lot of really great NPC opportunities in there. Or you play something like, why am I forgetting the name of it right now? The Village of Hirat. Um, uh, Doom of the Savage Kings. Thank you. Uh, that's the one that I couldn't think of also. Yeah, you play Doom of the Savage Kings and you've got that you've got the that great witch's hut inside the village and there's some fun things that can happen with her. So there are published modules that do have that. But what I would say is that the the tools that are provided to you by the Dungeon Crawl Classics modules are pretty simple tools. And if you use them exactly 
as just like you're playing that adventure and not adding anything else to it, then you might end up having kind of a simple experience, which may be what you're going for. Like maybe you're going for that really old school vibe and you really, you really want to play like you played back then. Or what you have in your hands is a really awesome setting piece that you can put into your campaign or into your sandbox or whatever. And it's written in such kind of an open, simple way that you can add anything you want to it. You know, when you're looking at a Pathfinder adventure path, or you're looking at one of those second edition Dragonlance um, modules, they're not written that way. They're written for you to have a very specific kind of experience. And I can really insert Neon Knights into any kind of a campaign I'm running, no matter what's going on. It's it's a very flexible tool that you can use any way you want if you're savvy enough to be able to 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 use the tool correctly. But you have to learn how to use the tool first. Does it does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Uh, Jen, do you want to add anything there? Hi, Dylan. I have thoughts. The first being the free RPG day modules which is primarily what is enclosed in Chaos Rising. Those are meant to be quick and dirty little sessions to expose people to DCC RPG, especially when they've never played it before. The overarching thing is NPCs are meant to be killed in DCC. It doesn't have to be this big, huge, blown-up setting. But the very first DCC RPG module, which was Doom of the Savage Kings, belies that. Like Jeff said, there's a lot of role-playing opportunities. In fact, when I first ran it, I want to say it was the second time I'd ever run DCC, I was upset with my table for delaying the game with all of their damn role-play. I mean, they just completely (laughs) took it out of my hands, and I was so upset. And I have since learned that whatever the players want is the most important. If they really want that city to go around and and go talk to the NPCs and schmooze with these people, give it to them. Let them. If they just want to go out and be murder hobos, let them. Throw a couple things at them, maybe maybe a, a little puzzle here or there. Doesn't matter how easy or hard it is. In fact, that too easy puzzle that you were referring to in that free RPG day module, again, that that's meant for players of all qualities and if you've got a brand new person who's never role played before they might not be expecting something intricate so you you don't have to dumb it down but it's left that way so that the entire table doesn't just stop and grind to a halt because you can't get through a door basically mm-hmm. but if you're looking for settings with npcs that are fleshed out and options and opportunities for role play um you do know that this DCC Lankmar settings coming out, right? And it is chock full with this stuff. John, I think you will love it. I can't wait. Yeah. So I just, yeah, those are my thoughts and and there's no wrong fun. Well, there is somebody. Okay. Listen, Hobbs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) When you're saying that a game doesn't do something based on one single module, you got to step outside the box, look at more than one product and, you know, look at something by a variety of authors within the line. Don't just pigeonhole yourself. I agree. And I'll even add one more quick thing to that, which is that the way that 
Elzaman and the Blood Drinking Box is written is that the beginning encounter with the wizard Ralabast is written very intentionally vague. And in my mind, that's not a that's not a weakness in the way it's written. It gives the judge an opportunity to be, to be really creative. And my Ralabast is going to be very different than your Ralabast. And it seems like you took this opportunity to be creative and really ran with it. So in my mind, the module did exactly what it was supposed to do, which was inspire you to really bring your own creative touches to this. There you go. Well said. Thanks, guys. I think uh, we summed it up, and I'll put a tiny little coda on it by saying, if you don't think there's a lot of role-playing in a in a typical DCC adventure, try going through Teagle Manor. And uh, <laughs> you know, that's, I'll just leave you with that. Uh, it's definitely kind of an old-school thing, and enough said. Um, but Dylan, having said that, thanks for your uh, email. It was a, a great question. I'm sure other people have had that question and sorry to uh, you know, omit your examples, but uh, mostly just for length. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so thanks, Dylan. And with that, we're going to start off here um, after a lot of talking already, but we're going to go into our Judge John Hook portion of the show here and go into Mighty Deeds. Let the combat begin! Why behold our hero? Mighty Deeds. All right, here we are in Mighty Deeds, and we'll go ahead and kick this off with Judge John, our special guest. John, you have done uh, some writing for, obviously, we, we know you as the supreme cultist in, the, in our Call of Cthulhu <laughs> world. I wish I had a better name than that, but I don't know. That's what I came up with. I like it. <laughs> and you have done some Lovecraft-inspired DCC stuff as well, including Shadows Under Devil's Reef, which has we've been talking about a lot over the last year. And I was an online playtester for that last summer, which was a tremendous amount of fun. So thanks for having me in that. And then uh, also the thing, I think it was called The Thing That Should Not Be in the Gen Con yep. program last year. So tell us about some of your, I think those are your two DCC credits. I don't know if there's a third one, but tell us about some of your Call of Cthulhu, Age of Cthulhu stuff as well. That was so much fun. Uh, sure. And I I actually pulled out uh, the uh, Lovecraftian DCC stuff that, that I've done just to, so I wouldn't forget, actually, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, uh, the Halloween module, Shadow Under Devil's Reef uh, for 27 team yes last year mm-hmm. um which i love it's a great great module oh, yeah. John. oh thank you so much <laughs> i ran it twice at gary Con. and then as you said uh the thing that should not be was a uh small uh dcc uh lovecraft inspired uh, adventure in the gen con program guide of 2017 also in the gen con program guide of 2017 we also have some Lovecraftian monsters for DCC. So um, I actually statted out in uh, DCC stat blocks. I think there's like a dozen, I forget exactly, uh, but a dozen Lovecraftian creatures. So Yaki, Color Out of Space, Formless Spawn, Elder Things, Mego. DCC already has ghouls. Uh, so I actually, uh, and they're, they're more of a uh, of an undead type of creature, uh, whereas Lovecraftian ghouls are not undead. 
So, uh, of course, DCC already has uh, ghouls, which are you know undead, uh, but Lovecraftian ghouls are not uh, undead. So I, I actually put ghouls hmm. in here, and I, I, I changed the name slightly. I called them uh, Mythos ghouls uh, mm. to just kind of indicate that they are slightly different. Uh, so that was both of those, that module and the, and the monsters are in uh, the Gen Con 2017. And then actually two years before that, Gen Con 2015, was the uh, kind of the the beginning of something out here? Hold on, I have the Mythos Alphabet. The Mythos Alphabet. There it is. So I've been waiting for it. Yeah. So uh, and actually, I can talk about that uh, today. The name has officially changed. Whoa! Uh, so it is no longer the uh, uh, Mythos Alphabet. It will now be the Cthulhu Alpha Alphabet. Wow. Uh, so. The okay. Cthulhu alpha, alphabet, and so that will be coming soon. Interesting, in, interesting marketing. Yeah, makes so, perfect sense. It does. It does. I like name change, and uh, I can't wait for folks to uh, to check it out. I think you know, like the other uh, alphabet books, it uh, it's just chock full of um, helpful system agnostic tables uh so you can spice up your uh dcc game you can spice up you know a, a fifth edition D game you can spice up call of cthulhu uh you know from you know just standard chaosium's call of cthulhu you could spice that up uh so these are these are just great uh generic tables that you can bring to uh to any situation that, that you're going to have um some kind of cthulhu mythos uh bent to to that to that adventure uh, and then uh, sticking with uh, Goodman Games, of course, I, I've done uh, several writings uh, for the uh, Age of Cthulhu line. I uh, started with Age of Cthulhu number seven with uh, Timeless Sands of India. And that's actually, that's how I, you know, kind of got my foot in at, at the door of Goodman Games. I, I was such a fan of the uh, Age of Cthulhu modules as they were coming out. And I was like, oh, I'm collecting all these. And and I was having a, a great time with them. And I was, you know, I, I was reading them and running them when I can. And and uh, I was like, gosh, I, I want to be part of this. And uh, so I put a I put an idea together that was uh, Timeless Sands of India. And I just emailed Joseph Goodman. I didn't know I was emailing Joseph directly. You know, I, there was some sort of, you know, contact us you know generic contact us kind of website or link you know from the website and i and i sent in this idea and joseph responded and he was like that doesn't sound bad yeah uh, write up another draft and if i like it you know we'll send you a contract wow. and, and one thing led to another yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah. that's pretty good you can certainly all try that but i'm not sure everybody's <laughs> gonna pull that off yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't recommend it at this stage. I mean, yeah, give it a shot, but hey, why yeah. not? What works for one may not work for another. Your mileage may vary. So cool, though. Very cool. Which is the last Age of Cthulhu book that's out? Uh, the last one that's out is uh, number nine, uh, Lost Expedition. I had to. I had to think about that. So, so I did. I did three in a row. I did seven, eight, nine. Time of Sands of India plateau over uh, starfall over the plateau of lang and lost expedition and then there was a uh, some kickstarter uh, extras that kind of got created as well some extra kickstarter content so there was another short adventure called transatlantic terror uh, that i wrote and 
you can buy it uh, as a standalone from the Goodman Games website. Uh, and then I, I did a few uh, what I was calling a one-on-one scenarios. Um, so I designed them to be one keeper, one player. Uh, so it's really short, really tight. And I like the idea of just having one player. So it's a real personal experience if it's if it's one game master and one player, especially in a Call of Cthulhu uh, scenario because of the horror. When you're alone like that, it just you know as a as a solitary player, you really feel alone. Your character feels alone, and uh, and so it kind of heightens the uh, the terror uh, and the mystery uh, that's in there. So uh, I have. Uh, four of those uh, one-on-one scenarios and they are not available uh separately but they if you were a kickstarter supporter of uh, lost expedition uh you got those four one-on-ones as well mm. Mm. stuff i need to bug the hubby for <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we should maybe that should be collected someday in a future uh product absolutely or something. that's a pretty good idea pretty good idea yeah so let's, I'm going to do a thought experiment here. Let's pretend I had a podcast called Julian and Friends of the OS, the old school. Let's just for, you know, just as a hypothetical. I, I already own that domain name, but go ahead. Uh, okay, great. Is it .net or .com, .org? What do you Yes, got? yes. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I won't go there, but if I had that, if I was Julian and friends of the OS, is is Call of Cthulhu old school? You know, it's not, it doesn't have a, well, it does have a D20 a little bit, maybe somewhere in there, but mostly it's percentiles, right? It's a primarily percentile driven uh, system, uh, but all the, uh, the standard polyhedrals uh, in play for one thing or another. Uh, the 20 probably only shows up for maybe a weird table or two if you were going to randomize a table weapons and things like that uh typically you know are in the d6 to d10 maybe a d12 oh a d20 might come in play with certain creatures for maybe a sand loss and and the d20 the d20 is probably if you pass your sand loss you know if it's the right monster if you fail your sand loss it's probably a d100 so but uh, hmm. yeah, so some of the the larger polyhedrals don't come in play all too often. So it is it is primarily a uh, percentile base. It's it's also a, a game that is uh, uh, without levels, hmm. uh, so you don't level your character up. You're it's a it's a skill based game. So uh, your your different characters hmm. have a, a variety of skill sets, um, and I and I love the mechanic for uh, improving. Uh, your skills because it is a d100 system and so when you're rolling your dice you want to get equal to or less than to pass yeah in order to have to have success right uh so and and so what happens is to to try you know as as you're playing a campaign um and your character uh, for lack of a better term, we'll say level up, right? Even though there are no levels. Uh, when you when you have all these um, opportunities to have skill improvements, you roll your percentile dice again, except when you're doing it for skill improvement, you're trying to fail your skill. So now if I had 60% in library use and I, and I, and I used that skill successfully during a night of, of play, uh, and when it finally came time to 
evaluate my character for skill improvements and I say, oh, I did use uh, library use successfully. So I have this opportunity to to improve that skill. I'm going to throw the dice. And if I get 61 or higher because I fail that roll, I can add 1d10 to that skill and have it improve. But you can see that the bell curve on that will get to the point where usually once you get into the 70s and 80s, it gets really difficult to roll you know, the statistically, it's difficult to roll that high. You know, you're normally going to be rolling equal to or less than now. And so it it really slows down the, the skill improvements on your skills when you get that high. It's easy to improve skill when it's only at 25%. And it's more difficult to do it once it gets into the 70s and 80s. So I love that mechanic. I love that mechanic, too. I've only I've dabbled in playing i've never run a call of cthulhu game and i've played a few of them but i just think it's one of the most elegant uh, type mechanics in rpgs over the years for sure so i guess my question is like i mean uh, as a smart person told me earlier today um call of cthulhu originally rolled out in 1981 i guess so that's pretty old is it old school i mean is this the fantasy trip old school? Is Tunnels and Trolls old school? Is Traveler old school? Like, because all the OSR clones are like D and D. I mean, are they all D and D based? It seems like they're all D and D based. You know what I'm saying? When we say OSR, we mean like D and D. But is it what's more old school than Call of Cthulhu? Maybe two other games, maybe five other like games that nobody else plays anymore. I don't know. Right. Yeah, very. There aren't that many uh, role playing games that are as old as as Call of Cthulhu and D and D. You know, original D and D. I would say that it, in my book, it does qualify as old school. Um, I don't think old school has to be of a a, a D twenty uh, system. Uh, I think old school is uh, a state of mind for a game. You know, the the construction of a game based upon when it came about because when call of cthulhu was created as we said there weren't that other that many other games that were already published that means sandy peterson who wrote the original version of the game didn't have a lot of other resources to fall upon to manipulate and twist to create it was created whole cloth so i think that makes it perfectly qualified as old school same thing with you know traveler and you know things like that and then as you get further in time and game designers are able to look back and say you know i really liked this game but not that mechanic i'm going to change that in my version so now it's you know an homage and it's you know it's playing on those tropes uh and so you know unless it's being designed to truly mimic uh, an earlier version of a game, I would say that is not old school then. I would also add that I think there are a few people who would argue that RuneQuest isn't an OSR game and Call of Cthulhu is the RuneQuest system. Yeah, it's all BRP, uh, basic role-playing. Yeah, it's all basic role-play, yeah. Yeah, and, and RuneQuest is 78. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say having played both of them, in early versions, I prefer Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. It's interesting. I wasn't really into the fantasy roleplay thing back in that day. And if I remember RuneQuest, I, I think it is a lot more crunchy. There's a lot more to it where uh, Sandy kind of 
smoothed it out and said, okay, let's just, you know, these are the skill sets and that kind of thing. Um, much more uh, aligned with the basic role play. It's funny, um, when Call of Cthulhu was published and you got the box set, so it was a box set and it had uh, the primary book and it had a supplement book that had like 1920s era information in it. There was also a, a pamphlet in there. And that pamphlet, it was, you know, saddle stitched. It was, you know, I think it's <laughs> maybe eight pages long. I mean, it's a really thin pamphlet. It was BRP. It's basic role play. They, they, in addition to having Call of Cthulhu rules, it get you got in the box set basic role play huh. rules as well. So you, you know you were getting really two games in one, or or the engine right. for it. Yeah, yeah, the engine. It was the SRD. <laughs> it was it was the SRD. It was so you know at that time BRP was so stripped down. It was just an eight page pamphlet. They were like, throw it in there. Here it goes. So having been somebody who's written for both Call of Cthulhu and Dungeon Crawl Classics, what would you say is the difference between writing for the two different systems? With DCC, when I'm writing for it, I'm I'm usually trying to, as best as I can, this kind of gets into uh, the issue that the the author of the letter uh, was pointing out, but I'm trying to focus on a single setting, usually a single dungeon and, and what I'm, what I'm stocking in it. So I'll, I'll have some initial preamble to, you know, justify why the adventurers are going to go here. And then I stock the dungeon with call of Cthulhu. When I'm writing call of Cthulhu, I am more focused on uh, a story arc. So because Call of Cthulhu primarily is an investigative horror game. You really have to have some kind of mystery for the investigators to pursue. So I I think about the full mystery, and and that does tend to make Call of Cthulhu scenarios feel a little more linear, dare say, railroady. Uh, but what I try, I know, I know, God forbid, God forbid, you play a game that has a narrative, right? Oh no. Heaven forbid. Uh, but what I do try and, and do with my, uh, call, uh, call Cthulhu scenarios, uh, because, uh, I'm, I'm so aware of the, the vile criticism that occurs when someone thinks that it is a, a single narrative, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, Oh, my agency's taken away. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> well, okay. Then the bad guys win. How about that? Right. I mean, we can all just go home. <laughs> Yeah, let's just go home. But if you actually want to try and stop the bad guys, let's play this game. And so what I do try and do is I try to give multiple avenues, like maybe all roads lead to Rome, but you know, you know, you you can take the high road, you can take the low road, you can take the, you know, the the road through the dark forest. Please go through the dark forest. But you know Right. And and there was that game that you ran the playtest for us not too long ago. And I remember being thrown back into, oh, yeah, we have to investigate. We have to actually go here and look here and ask these people about this thing. And, oh, we have an option to talk to these people. And it was a lot different than DCC, where even if you are going out to investigate something, it's usually one or two and and done. And you're back in the action and you're back in the combat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is a fine line. It's There is a balance to it. You know, there's a whole game that uh, uh, Robin Laws created, the uh, the gumshoe system, to try and solve problems that were inherent in 
uh, you know, air quotes, traditional call Cthulhu, which is one of the skills that you had. I kind of joked about earlier today was uh, library use, right? So in a call Cthulhu uh, scenario, you might need to go to the library to do some research to, you know, find some sort of, you know, moldy book that has a uh, information in it that'll allow you to defeat the monster or, or find a key or whatever it is that's going to happen. And so then you can almost place a bet on it and win every time. If you are going to uh, rely on players to roll dice and have a success to gain that clue, just throw that out the window because they will fail that roll every damn time. And it got to the point, it was a joke you know, in the community where, oh, you failed the roll. Well, you find it anyways, right? And so keepers are just giving up and giving these clues away. And so you know, Robin rightly you know, thought that was a problem and created the gumshoe system where you don't even have to roll. If your character shows up to a certain scene and has a certain skill on his character sheet, ding, you get the clue, right? It's just handed to you. I don't know how I feel about that. Exactly, right? So I'm trying to... Now, we should say, just full disclosure, because I've run a little bit of Gumshoe, strangely, and not Call of Cthulhu per se, but Heathen. you still do some <laughs> rolls and some spending to determine like how much information you glean. There's degrees of success, let's say. True. There are degrees of success, but you'll never walk away without that clue. True. That is true. In fact, you always get bare minimum that will get you if interpreted right. So it's not it's not totally on a silver platter. I, I exaggerated it. You know, maybe just a skosh. Um, <laughs> but uh, you are given enough that as players, you need to argue about it and try and figure it out and say, well, does this mean we need to do this or does this mean we need to do that? But at least you have something to go on. And then depending upon how well you rolled or if you spent any points from your pool, you might get extra information and that'll help, you know, point that compass needle where it needs to go. And these are situations that I've played with as a DCC judge with, you know, Call of Cthulhu being my first game and my first love. If a player makes that mental leap and mm. or the logic leap and comes to the right conclusion without getting clues and without doing all of this instead yes. of you know hey make an, make an idea roll and chances are you're going to make that because usually your idea is like 85 or something and you can reward them with saying yes you have come to the right conclusion so with DCC hey make a luck check and or even an intelligence check, which would be rolling plus your mod because I'm not a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. But that way, it, that way it still rewards them for, you know, I shouldn't say being smart, but you can also just let them go with what they think is right, too. You don't have to have them make a roll or anything. And then yep. whether or not their information is correct, yep. that's what they're operating on. But I, it's interesting to kind of work the two in together. Perfect. So this is a little off script, but I, I have something I want to ask you. So when we're going back and we're looking at the Appendix N, a lot of these authors are pretty problematic. And Lovecraft is one of the most problematic. Um, just tons and tons of very obvious racism. And like, you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, he is a product of his time. But like Lovecraft was bad for his time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Jeff. 
Yeah. So, and you know, here's what's funny about Lovecraft. So Lovecraft was a, uh, an unfortunately, a, a just a, a raging racist. Most of that definitely comes through in his uh, personal letters. Uh, as he wrote to fans, as he wrote to other authors in his stories, most of his stories, you know, his protagonists, uh, even though he doesn't typically describe his protagonists, just due to setting, due to, you know, you get a sense of the character's education and, uh, you know, the time period stuff, you know, I think almost everybody fills in, you know, generic white guy, right? Uh, and then on occasion, he'll have this, like, you know, a character died because he was jostled by a Negro, right? And so you're like, oh, God. I or or he, he has, uh, oh, the, the, the story's escaping me, but he has a, uh, uh, there's a black cat that is uh, a pet with the N-word as the name. And I'm just, you read this and you're just like, Oh, please. Why? You know, uh, and, and while he was an anti-Semite, you don't see you don't actually see, he doesn't come out and and and, and have uh, anti-Semitic passages in his stories. And I don't know if he did that on purpose or not. If he was just like if he just liked his story so much, he was like, yep. you know, this is good yep. enough. Yep. I, I guess I don't need to throw in the screw the Jews. I'm going to leave that part out. Right? There's <laughs> enough hate here. We've got enough hate here for one night. Yeah, that's good. And so yeah. I, I find it is, at least for myself, and 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 maybe I put a cloud up and 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 draw the shades or whatever. But I feel like I I can enjoy his uh, literary work. The you know the story stuff. And really detest his personal positions and feelings. It's unfortunate, but I don't think I would have been his friend if we lived in the same time period. That being the if he was modern right now and, and still had his same sensibilities, I don't think we would be friends. You know, I don't. I don't know if we would enjoy his art as much. Right, because uh, I think it does. Uh, I think there is kind of telling that he had to be dead for, you know, decades before his uh, writings became popular again. Yeah. You know, he was moderately popular uh, for what stories were being published in uh, tales. He had a couple of, you know, a couple of his stories got the cover art, but uh, in many of his stories, you know, if you look on the cover, it's, uh, you know, this issue includes one by, you know, H will say HP Lovecraft, but the cover art isn't for his story. Right. Um, you know, in fact, the only one that jumps out uh, to me is um, Shadow Out of Time with the uh, the Yithians on the cover. Uh, I can't think of any other cover that had a Lovecraftian illustration, you know, not even uh, the Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for, for humoring me on that particular question. Uh, but to lighten things up a little bit, I want to go back to game design here. Now, when you're writing Lovecraftian adventures for DCC, in your mind, is it just as easy as making the monsters Lovecraftian? Or is there another level to it than that? So, uh, and I'll use uh, Shadows uh, under Devil's Reef as, as an example. It was difficult uh, because, hmm. you know, to tell the tale, uh, Joseph approached me and said, you know, would you be interested in writing, uh, you know, the this year's Halloween module? Uh, and I said, well, of course. And he goes, well, I, I'd also like you to make it, you know, Lovecraftian. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> Have we met? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, when I'm doing Lovecraftian stuff, I'm doing mysteries and I'm, you know, it's, it's usually, I try to make it investigation uh, focused and, you know, certain combat things, yeah, but it's, you know, not too much. But when I think of DCC, I try and think of like, there needs to be opportunities for action and excitement in, if not every uh, scene, in nearly every scene and in the ones that maybe don't have uh so much combat let's have a puzzle let's have a trap right and so i'm like gosh how it was it was a thought process on this like how do i do this and so i i tried to think about other fantasy adventure modules that are out there and what could i do that would maybe have uh some lovecraftian elements i guess uh it's been nearly a year so i'm not too worried about spoilers so <laughs> I, I i will i will give up the ghost on uh shadow under devil's reef no no don't do it <laughs> do it do but it <laughs> my initial my initial thought was uh, deep ones i want to have deep ones uh and so i wanted to put a twist on it right i mean like like well you know the the core dcc book has deep ones statted in there and i could do that but is there anything else that i could do and i was like what if the pcs became deep ones and then it started kind of coming together for me. And so I have a whole thing in here that I, I start mutating the uh, player characters as you go deeper and deeper and deeper into this adventure. Uh, there are greater opportunities for mutations to occur as our PCs are slowly becoming deep ones themselves. Uh, and it is possible to lose your character, your player character. It is possible to be completely lost and become an NPC uh, because they have gone full deep one. Just kind of like going insane. Kind of like going insane, exactly. Without a sanity mechanic. <laughs> yeah, no sanity mechanic. Um, but uh, I tried to, you know, I introduced a few other uh, classic Lovecrafting creatures. I tried to uh, not necessarily have it so much of a of a mystery, but more of an adventure. So I I did try to uh, make it different, but still have elements that I thought hearkened to Lovecraft. I honestly don't know how successful it was. I mean, it, it's only a level adventure, so I think it's okay, fun. I hope people enjoy it. So. I think it's been pretty successful. I mean, a lot of people have run it, and uh, I, I think it's really unique. I, I mean, first of all, I, I played it in your playtest, John, and I had a great time, but it has a really crazy physical landscape in the first portion with the broken ship and all that. Spoiler alert. And then later it gets down into that whole Deep One thing and the undersea thing and blah, blah, blah. I won't go into gory detail, but that's pretty unique stuff that's going on in this sort of second or third, you know, basically end part there. And, yes. you know, I don't know. Enough, enough said. I think it's unique even in the Appendix N inspired uh, DCC stuff and encourage everybody to check that out. And I think even the thing that should not be has some of that as well. I, I will say on that Halloween mod, when we played it for our Halloween event, the friendly local gaming store, there were only four players and Bob even bumped us up to second level PCs and it still kicked our butts. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff. Some of the traps are a little harsh in it. I don't know if um, it was even the traps, man. We <laughs> <laughs> And that's the beauty of DCC because you can have the, the two of the same size groups of the same levels go into the same adventure and like one will be like, oh, that was a cinch. And the other Screw one will be like, guys. oh my God, yeah. that destroyed us. <laughs> 
And part of it's the dice and part of it's how you play it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, Julian, I, I forgot what version that you played in because the, the ship, the broken uh, ship uh, that is possible to to explore in this while narratively i had a shipped a, a wrecked ship in the narrative in the first playtest run it wasn't a part of the map like it wasn't <laughs> explorable it was just in my mind i hand waved it as like yes there's a there's a broken ship all hands on board you know died or went into the waters or whatever and and so one of the notes that came out of an early playtest was you should make that ship explorable we need to be able to go mm-hmm. on to that and i was like huh okay so then so then i i went back rewrote it added the ship in and then i guess in julian it was in your play test did you guys uh use giant growth or, or uh enlarge yes. use the spell yeah so <laughs> i put i i tried to tease a great and fantastic treasure but i purposely made it like in my mind impossible to take all you could do is just open the lid maybe grab a handful or two but then everything else is going to go down with ship right so it's this huge chest and it's filled with gold it's a dowry and everything so then julian I forget which character was goes i cast enlarge i spell burn the crap and i and i cast yep. enlarge so this guy becomes this huge giant and just grabs the thing basically in one hand and starts striding through the waters back up to the beach and i'm like I was just gobstuck. I was like, uh. There went that. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there went that. He goes, I want treasure. Boom. Like, okay, you get the treasure. At least to the beach. <laughs> yeah, you took it to the beach and then, then they were like, all right, we'll just leave it here and come back for it later. Ha! So. And the GM says, thanks, <laughs> Judge John, for ruining the economy of my whole campaign. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, time to move. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I think it's about time for us to wrap it up. Judge John Hook, thanks for being with us. Uh, really quickly, before we adjourn, uh, anything big coming up you want to tell us about? Give us some inside scoops here. You know, as I said, uh, keep your ears open for an announcement from uh, Joseph Goodman about the upcoming uh, Cthulhu Alphabet. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for you guys to see the cover. It is amazing. Hmm. I do know who did it. Do you know who it. did it? I don't it? know if I can say. I, I think it would be okay. I think it's just a it's just a tease. It's just a name drop. It's just a name drop. But the amazing <gasps> Earl Otis. What? Oh, did nice. The cover for the, yes. Earl Otis has done the cover oh. for the Cthulhu alphabet. And it is stunning. So please keep your ears to the ground and uh, and uh, you know watch this channel for uh, an update from uh, Joseph Goodman on the uh, Cthulhu alphabet. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll probably have more to say on that uh, in the future. And, and it's a, there's a whole slew of, of authors uh, that are part of it. So and I, I can't remember all. So I'm not going to name you any. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of guys in it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love your logic. Yes. It will uh, no. We'll we'll certainly be talking about that later. So um, thanks, John, uh, for joining us. Uh, good luck. Oh my God! Thank you guys for having me on. I had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we should do this again. And good luck at the Ennies. Uh, good luck also to our um, old quote unquote friend, uh, who shall not be named. Yeah. And uh, 
We look forward to a fun Gen Con. Um, I, I volunteer to accept your awards for for either one of you or both of you, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic. I think that'd be fun. So um, <laughs> thanks, guys. And uh, let's uh, just remind our listeners, uh, go ahead, email us your questions at theband at spellburn.com. Leave us some iTunes reviews. Uh, thanks again to Hector Cruz for uh, doing our editing. We really appreciate you, Hector. Yeah, Hector. Yeah. The missile. <laughs> 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 and with that, I think uh, all I've got to say is game on, folks. Rock Lobster. <laughs> Have a great night, guys. <laughs> Cthulhu for <photography. laughs> Yeah, yeah. You've been listening to <laughs> Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. This has been a Hectophonic Production. production.